I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Lightning Dogs, the official podcast presented by the Nerdist Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. On Nerdist Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdishow.com. Lightning Dogs is conceived as an all-ages property, but these behind-the-scenes conversations are not all-ages. So listen at your own discretion, baby. Woo! You know, sometimes a great idea is like a bolt of lightning. And sometimes, if you're lucky enough, you can capture the exact moment when it strikes that's what happened for us one fateful night when recording an episode of Nerdy Show. We accidentally launched a concept that derailed the entire show and, in no time, our lives. We couldn't stop talking about our favorite action figures and B-movies while twisting them into strange creatures, weird adventures, and my personal favorite, dog puns. Lots of dog puns. This is the story of Lightning Dogs, a journey steeped in the glory of 80s and 90s animation and sci-fi where anthropomorphic dogs tear through the wasteland of a ruined Earth, battling mutants, miscreants, and the evil Glampire, coming soon to small screens, comic books, and podcasts. Or at least that's the goal. But how do you go from a crazy idea into a fully formed world of conflict and characters? How does a harebrained discussion become an animated series? That's what we're finding out firsthand. We've recorded the entire development of Lightning Dog since day one, from the moment of conception to every world-building session and planning meeting, and the journey is still ongoing. Tune in as we create the world of Lightning Dogs, live! Welcome to a new episode of Lightning Dogs. It's good to be back to it. After spending so many sessions dedicated to almost exclusively building the history of the Lightning Dogs homeworld, Doug, Cap, and I were in much need of the chance to just kick back and let loose with new weirdness from the wasteland. In fact, this time we're just taking a scenic tour. What was initially just a Mad Max-style desert is starting to grow and evolve into its own character. In this episode, we discuss our expanding topography. We also make strides toward putting a pin in how exactly planet Earth got so messed up in the first place. The origin story for our world's horrific transformation and all of our peopleoid pals begins here. So why delay? Let's dive right into it. What have you got, Doug? I had a couple of things, actually, and I wrote them down in several different documents on my phone because I was, as I was thinking, I just had, like, I had to get it out. The first one, which was the big one, was something that we've kind of brushed up against before in terms of we discussed it in very broad strokes, which was we still don't really know what the catastrophe is that turned Earth as we know it into the wasteland. And right. We, lot, we've had suggestions. We've had a lot of suggestions, had a lot of thoughts. Like, what did it? But what was also something? Because everybody pitched in an idea that was really good. And I'm like, if, if there's a way we can somehow make it all happen and make it all work together, 
I think there might be something there. And I remember the one thing that always stuck with me was Cap was talking about the uh, end times apocalypse prophecy, Mm -hmm. the Native American prophecies. And the final one was there's a dwelling in the heavens that falls in the form of like a blue star and stuff. But I remember when we talked about this on a previous episode, we said, oh, you could easily interpret that as like a space station. And then remember we that developed into, oh, what if it's a space station that crashes and all this other stuff? And I was like, yeah, but why? But like, why specifically the space station? Why would it crash? You know, like, I don't really know. Like, there's nothing really that ties it all together. Then I remember we were talking about Glampire uh, being involved with building like a huge far fetch, like on the ground that would explode and maybe somehow send the thing out of orbit. I don't know. Like, there was, there was a lot of ideas floating around. But as I was writing down an idea, I was getting inspiration. So this this is going to be more of a stream of consciousness rather than a full-fledged out like uh, okay. idea. Okay. So I'm, I'm just going to go for it. So the apocalypse begins with a giant space station crashing to Earth, question mark. Maybe a wormhole station for ships to pass through allows large groups of people to get to distant planets faster than the small Stargate-sized ones that we see on Earth's surface. Or maybe it was built as a kind of telescope or slingshot prototype that can warp large things to distant plants without a gate already awaiting them on the other side. Built too big, too fast, with too many bad crystals. So I'm going to pause there for a second just to sort of clarify what I was talking about. So far-fetched technology mm-hmm. is like gate A, gate B, boom, you go through it. And there ha- you have to build it on the other side and you just come through like a tunnel. What if this is a large space station that is not only a space station, but it also is a very large far-fetch that when you have ships in outer space, you can then say, well, hey, now we're no longer limited. If this works, we're no longer limited by gate A, gate B. It's almost like you just aim it where you want to go. You aim it at a distant planet, say open one. the portal, and then boom, it shoots you there. Same oh, hey. place. It's got a whole bunch of naturally going crystals that maybe they would name Domus down the line. Yes, that's possible. What my thought was, was that if the giant space station that is built by Glampire's corporation, assuming he's in the future and he's still, you know, obviously he's still alive, but like that he somehow has the power to influence this. Glampire, what is his goal? His goal is, I need to get home. I need to get back to the Glampire planet, whatever that is. That's a whole other conversation. The Glam planet. Um, The the Glam rock. (laughs) (laughs) Done. Um, Cut um, it, print it. I'm trying to get back to Glam rock. But I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm not not picturing the entire population as Glam rockers. But but think of it this way. There is no gate on Earth that he can build that would get back to to Glam rock. I'm just going to go with it because that's everyone knows what it is now. So what do you do? You have to invent a technology that will allow you to travel great distances in short time without a gate waiting for you. So I, I, I'm using this slingshot metaphor to kind of sort of like the idea of it launches you. So if there is a space station that's basically like a ring in mm-hmm. space and the inside fills up with the, the void of, of whatever, like the wormhole that gets ripped open and then you just take a large battle cruiser ship and you just go through you or not or maybe just a colony cruiser whatever it is something that's large because with every other far fetch that you have on earth you might be able to walk through it or drive through it or maybe you could march but you're not going to be able to be large enough and be able to yeah. sustain that level of power but, but if you exactly it's like if you wanted to take a hundred people through a far fetch there's really not enough power to do that and you'd have to have them walk through it or drive through it and that would take a long time but if, if you were to have a large thing where you could just take a spaceship full of like 200 people and just drive through it and then immediately close it, you're saving power. And also it frees the limits of having to have a gate waiting for you. 
And maybe, just maybe, because he knows the approximate distance between he and Glamrock, and he knows that it's going to take a lot of power to get him there. Yeah. And so build a giant space station. And the defective crystals he's got right exactly, now because they're from Earth aren't going to be enough to get him there, which exactly. is why he has to find, say, what becomes Domus mm -hmm. that has these naturally growing crystals, and that's why he's having to harvest them. That's that gives us that waiting period. Why he can't just go straight back to Glamrock using this, but he figures do this here. And I can get the crystals I need to amass my army and return home. Right. He thinks he can push it. Something then happens to right. where either it gets used too much or a calculation was off because he was relying on stupid human math. That was my the second part of, of what this is, of what the actual disaster is. So that's like the setup for what what's going on with the thought of like, well, obviously that's a big thing floating around your earth and that's going to go wrong. Where I went on was a, uh, uh, this is tying back to other stuff. Feel free, this doesn't, this isn't solid yet. I'm just pitching this as, again, stream of consciousness from where I left off. Major Tom went through it to chart new space, but a failure sent him somewhere in deep space by accident. Lovecraftian horror got a hold of him and started to come back through. The explosion and re-entry of the space station can spread the unnatural crystals that powered it all over the Earth. Humanity can't handle it, and what little civilization there is that survives the initial impact soon crumbles and dies out. The last thing I wrote was a potential name. I just said Space Station Hermes, because the idea is that it gets you really quick from one place to another. And that's another weird thing that the dogs wouldn't really understand. It's like a giant far-fetched, and it's like Space Station Hermes, what the hell is that? And of course, they're not, that's not in outer space anymore. It crashed to Earth. So there's literally that, that can explain why not just crystals are all over Earth, but the bad crystals are all over Earth because right. this is a space station as it's slowly decaying in orbit as, after it exploded. And that's another, that is a big catastrophic event. Bad crystals raining from the sky like a meteor shower. Right. That would definitely fuck you up. And well, not just in the physical, like it, hitting things, but just electrical and mutations. Yeah, well, and, I mean, and that was what we were going for. Yeah. Our last incarnation of it. Mm hmm. I mean, I, I like the idea of having a big space array that acts as a gateway. Like, I mean, that that's great. With the timeline we established before didn't put humanity at that level yet exactly the trick is that we need to make sure in whatever scenario that happens that the far-fetched that the lightning dogs use is the last known one yes and that's going to be tricky if humanity is far enough along or is so accustomed to using this kind of technology that they're ready to build one in space that there's still something on the ground and that's the trick there what we talked about before i believe was the narrative of Glampire is suggesting use of these crystals as, an, as a wealthy industrialist, and he's like forcing that issue, and they're growing them in labs and stuff, and the crystals can attune to other crystals somewhere else in the universe, mm -hmm. so you get the far-fetched that goes to Domus. You get enough of them together, yeah. Right, mm -hmm. so you can start mining the real ones and so on, but he's trying to push the issue, he's going too fast, he's forcing them to go too fast. Mm -hmm. I believe we were talking about some kind of like a wireless energy array or something as, as the satellite before. The reason that made me think of it was more of the question of, we know there's an apocalyptic event, and we know that Glampire is somehow connected to it. What does Glampire want? We know he wants to go home. How does him wanting to go home create an apocalyptic event? Right. Well, clearly he's in a rush, and he pushes humans too far too fast. I think the far-fetched technology of using crystals, like, oh, we can use the crystal to detect where other crystals are, and if we get enough crystals together, we can open up a hole just big enough to send someone over there and start building a colony and using the crystals that are on Domus. We can then start farming them and mining them, get those crystals, send them back. The crystals that he's getting from Domus can go up into the space station array, and that plus the, all the ones that we're manufacturing on Earth making more. They may not even know there's a difference between the ones that we make and the ones that we find naturally. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. They yeah. probably shouldn't. Um, yeah. Or like, I, or Glampire's aware that, well, yeah, they're probably not as good, but like the instabilities, yeah. like, that's not his science. He doesn't know 
what's good or bad about the crystals. He just knows that, you know, like he knows some things. Yeah. So his his ultimate goal is if we can build that space station in the sky that is big enough to send an army through. Granted, he doesn't have one. He doesn't have any of this stuff. But he says, if I get it big enough, if I just have a machine that is big enough where I can send anything through it and then I aim it at Glamrock, I'm home free and nothing can stop me. I mean, and then you're like, well, why doesn't he just wait? Well, he has been waiting for thousands of years, right? And he's, you know, like, why not just wait and collect all the proper crystals to do it? Well, what if he doesn't know that there's a difference between the man-made crystals and the, and the, you know, and the natural ones? The man-made ones maybe just grow slower. That's the difference. So it's like, oh, shit, we found Domus. Domus has all of the, uh, or if they call it Cerberus 2 or whatever, Cerberus 2, Cerberus 3, they have natural growing crystals. We create a small farfetch, go through mine, 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 bring it all back through the farfetch, put it up in the giant array and mixed with all the other stuff. You mix natural it's crystals. It's like putting with a bad battery with a good battery. Yeah. In fact, you know, I got it mixed up. It's that man made crystals grow faster, but are not as powerful. Natural crystals work way better, but they take forever to grow. Right. Yeah. And they don't grow naturally on Earth. So that's like where it's like the rush to get it. It's like, oh, we finally have a hotbed of all natural crystals let's throw it up into space with everything that we got because he's because once that thing opens he's home free he's got it he's done so they open it up and they want to send a test thing through just to see if it goes through the test goes horribly wrong and then i was thinking okay well how do we connect that with shutting everything down everyone has to evacuate we have to shut this whole thing down and i have talked before about the idea of they shut it down because humanity realizes we may have stepped in something that we're not prepared for and if that's the lovecraftian uh, unknown horror that creates space boy they can see that happening and go whoa that's fucked up shut it down don't let it get to earth now this opens us up to another couple of options of what could happen either some of that unknown space horror comes to earth or maybe they shut it down before it comes to earth if it does come to earth and it lands on earth that could explain some of the freaks like you take these unknown horror alien things that have fallen to earth from who knows where that mixed with crystals and earth life could create really crazy monsters or they or we just cut it off and none of that alien crap lands on earth but it's already too late because the crystals are spread everywhere i see a lot of potential options and story avenues to take and um this also gave me the idea that when they're shutting it down it's like you know they send out a signal code black everybody has to return to earth and all the other outposts where they were exploring and doing mining, everyone has to return back. And on Domus, when they're returning back, they close it off thinking, well, maybe we don't know the nature of the emergency. Maybe it's obviously really bad if they're using this code. So uh, we'll shut it all down. Maybe we'll be back in a couple of years, depending on what the, what, mm -hmm. what the problem is. But I remember we talked before on another episode about were there any humans left behind on Domus? Yeah. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be an interesting story to follow the person or small group of people who said, no, this is my new home. I came out here to colonize it. This is our way of life. I don't want to go back to Earth if there's a code black or whatever it is. Like if there's a code whatever, return code, that means something bad has happened. I don't have any family back home. I need to stay here. Here's my family. Or I think I got the inspiration from that uh, Japanese man who uh, is going back to the radiated uh, areas after the, was it Fukushima? Who goes into those villages that are affected by the radiation and takes care of the animals. He literally was like, he went in there and he's like, some of these dogs are locked up in these houses. They were there for months. Some of them didn't make it. And some of them who did, I've been feeding them and nursing them back to health. And people have been donating money because he's, he's irradiated now. Yeah. So he's like, now I have something in common with these household pets and some horses and, and other like animals 
he's kind of like Noah's Ark kind of thing, except all he's doing is caretaking for these animals. He's irradiated. The animals are irradiated. They have this weird thing in common. And he has like a wife and kids. And sometimes they'll come out to help, but he makes sure that they stay far enough away so that they don't get sick and everything. Mm -hmm. Fascinating story. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I can easily see something like somebody that. staying behind. Not to mention it would explain a lot of why were the animals left behind. If it was families who were sticking around and their pets were there. Yeah. Because first of all, we don't even know how many humans are on Domus before they leave. We never really talked about it. We know it's a colony of some kind. Probably like if, one to 2,000, something like that. Yeah, if it's sort of large, like one to 2,000, it's like, everybody abandoned, we've prepared for this, we've done drills, everyone through the far fetch, and someone's just like, I don't, but what about Fluffy? And it's just like, don't worry, I'm staying behind, I'll take care of all the dogs, don't worry. You know, like that sort of thing, where it's like, human safety is our number one concern, you need to get out of here. And the person or people who are left behind, that is an amazing story. That, to me, can be a story that's like its own comic book. Or it's, it, it's, it's its own radio show. It could even head into some of the tribalism based on what region these people were staying in, what dogs they were taking care of. Because the, the idea that if you have a human or, hu or multiple human caretakers for these animals, that can explain why if everything was shut off and abandoned, like in the blink of an eye, how do the dogs just find these preserved human things? But if humans were there for maybe another 10, 15 years, 20 years, before they all still living in the laboratory, still living in the um, living quarters. And they, then they could even start to. And, they, and the humans are aware of their own mortality. They know, well, I'm going to die. But and humans haven't contacted us back from Earth. Something bad must have happened. But in the hopes that one day humans will come back, I'm going to keep the far fetch intact. I'm going to keep it powered down so that when they do come back, it can turn on from the other side. Blah, and, blah, 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 blah. And these could also be the record keepers who are actually keeping records records of what, this, what this happened. master yeah this master civilization it would explain why because if this guy maybe they even start to see the development starting to happen within these dogs the the increased cranial yeah. capacity uh -huh. and so forth and so on so they would want to leave records behind mm -hmm. and the sort of backstory of being loyal to masters and masters always being like almost magic in the sense like there's this connection of, of the, that they were taking care of us but then one day they were gone yeah like yeah. this this would really cement that in their here's the thing now what a couple people being left behind i think could be made to make sense but if there's someone who's intentionally creating journal entries or whatever pertaining to the fall of humanity on that planet or, or whatever or the the mystery of what happened or any of that stuff mm-hmm we're in a position where the dogs would be given too much information. That Yeah, that is that is a thing I was worried about, but we could just explain any of it away with, they don't know why there was a, an emergency callback. Or, hell, know. why shy away from the, the trope that does get played up a lot, which is people in a position of power keeping secrets. Maybe I, yeah, the, maybe the top level yeah. knows what's going on, and they know a hell of a lot more than they're telling anybody, including their quote-unquote most trusted lieutenants. This is the problem that we had when we were, and this is not even a problem, but this is just the same gap in story that we ran into when we were doing Microscope, which is what do the general population of dogs know about masters and what do the higher up people who are definitely keeping secrets, what do they know? I don't want either one to know too much. I don't even necessarily want any of them to even know what masters look like because I think there could be a very poignant moment in a future lightning dogs episode or comic issue or whatever or what have you whatever form it takes where they finally get to see an image of masters for the first time where it's like they didn't they, like they may have known oh we're kind of, they walked upright we can tell that they had hands because of the way these machines are built but we really didn't know what they really looked like well i mean like that would that would mean that there'd be no files because any digital content left over had to have had images yeah but with the degrading quality of how whatever it's stored on or however it's encrypted i mean we're talking 
technically thousands of years of development on this dog planet who knows i mean we, i i i think I, the point point being is that I, there's a lot of options all we have to do is decide what do they know what do they not know and then from there we can build out why they know that or don't know that i feel pretty much in the camp of like we should err on the side of extreme mystery but also that if you just look at our technology now it would be virtually impossible for us to occupy any space for even a couple months without leaving enough material that could be by a civilization of equal technological integrity somehow picked apart or archived or something you know especially if like it was future humans so you know you got to figure that every piece of hardware would at least be a solid state drive or something like that's really pretty good at holding that information mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. seven or eight instagram accounts that somehow survived <laughs> there'd be materials there i suppose the one thing that'd be a more recent development of dog kind is based on the evolution of dog kind's technology that they would be able to unlock those secrets and that maybe the public knows what humans look like, but at least someone does know what they look like. Mm -hmm. But as far as the information that Earth was doomed, or there was a code, whatever, a code they, yeah, they may was, they probably don't know that. They should all. they yeah. probably shouldn't know that. And then if we're talking about like multiple people existing on, on Domus, well, you gotta figure that the increased evolution of the crystals would be just as influential on humans as it would on dogs. So either they evolved or de-evolved into a species that's entirely different from humanity, or actually, much like Homo sapiens and Cro-Magnons actually are part of the dog lineage and the dogs don't know it, or something like that, where like interbreeding was possible at some point. But basically, if there's a male and a female human on there, chances are there would be progeny at some point. That's why when I was thinking of it, I was thinking it would probably be if it was one person that would explain why they would just die out and yeah. really not have any change and they wouldn't leave a lot of evidence behind. Because like I say, if you had a male and a female, after the uh, five-year mark, it'd be pretty clear that no one's coming back and they need to just continue living. And this world was decent enough to live on for a colony, so we may as well just continue on in that direction. But if they had a family... And we did talk about this in another episode as I was, I was listening back. And uh, I think maybe even to me, that was just like, well, what if his, you know, what, what if he becomes infertile because of the crystals or like, just, right. I mean, there, there's any explanation we can give, but we've got uh, a planet full of MacGuffins. Yeah, we, 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 we can choose any direction, but I think ultimately it's just what is the catastrophe? What is the details of that? Then we figure out based on what really happened, how much is known. The other quick note that I had of an idea when I was listening to a previous episode is you were talking about the Echo Building. Mm -hmm. And we were like, well, what do we do with that? It's kind of like a fortress, it's like out in the desert and stuff like that. And then I just thought, oh, what if that's where Halloween Jack is? Like him and his cronies. What if they just inhabit the Echo Building? Yeah, totally. So I mean, it just, it seems like a fortress, but that still ties into him living on top of Manhattan Chase. Because <laughs> it is a skyscraper, but it's not really a skyscraper if it's buried up in sand to where it's just, it just looks like a, you know, like a three-story uh, fortress. Yeah. No, that, that's that's totally doable. I suppose the, the one question would be in the process of developing the world of the wasteland and the topography of the wasteland, does it make sense for Jack to have something like that at his disposal or should he be in the nomadic? He wouldn't be nomadic because he's the sheriff of Nottingham of whatever region <laughs> that is exactly. But like, you know, is that where Jack's people are based out of or are we going to have like, you know, above ground townships or something and have that be something more right. formidable like like Gastown and Mad Max or something yes. like that, you know? It's basically, it's there if we want it. I mean, I love, I mean, I love the Manhattan Chase comparison. I'm going to go on record and just argue on in favor of it because at this point, ride style over practicality. Right, but there's so much we haven't even created yet. It just mm. happens to be one of the few things we have. I th so I th I'm, not, I'm not in any, yeah. any rush to pin it down. See, really. it, seems, it seems like a fitting place for, because we want Halloween Jack to be a credible threat. 
Right. So let's give him a fortress. Let's give him, let's fill it with freaks. And that's like the one Let thing. Let that freak it's, flag fly. Yeah. yeah. Technically, there, it's an, I don't want to say it's completely impenetrable, but it's definitely a thing where if it was just like a, like a spread out sprawl of camps and tents and stuff, the lightning dogs could just, you know, like run through it and fuck shit up. But if it's like, embedded in this building and the building goes down another 100 stories and it's filled with creatures living in the dark and the dim caverns of this skyscraper buried in the sand you wouldn't really want to take it over you know what i mean like from the outside leave well yeah, enough alone yeah you need to perform a root canal on a on a skyscraper scale no, to you have really the, you uh, have that moment where maybe they do decide to storm it and as they get in narisa's checking out and she's like guys this goes on this. for a long time it <laughs> goes on it, it goes yeah how far Deep. I can't see the bottom. Yes. <laughs> and it'd be a great place for the uh, Lenny Dogs RPG. Uh, if you want to do some dungeon crawling, uh, that Just is the place. Uh, the, no, I mean, it, it's, a, <laughs> it's a great opportunity for stories. My, I guess my one question is, like, if you look at the Echo Building as either a castle or a labyrinth or something like that to be stormed at some point, you know, that might be too good for Jack. No, I, I agree. If we think of a great mystery for them to delve into... I think that's a perfect place, but I don't want it to go unused. Right. No, no. It, so, I mean, it, it yeah. won't. I'm just saying, like, we have so much more work to do on the world of the wasteland. I mean, we, we should spend a whole episode, you know, looking over our reference material for it and just coming up with, like, oh, wouldn't this be a cool place? And being like, all right, let's make sense of this. Let's figure out what this is. What is this? You know, like, right. how does it work? It just, it's, it just hit me that I realized that the Echo Building someone would be living on top of a skyscraper. And if anyone in the Lightning Dogs universe should live on top of a skyscraper, it's Jack. It's oh, yeah. Jack. Now, I'm not married to the idea because I do agree that we need to not do things just because David Bowie once said it. There we, are so many other pop stars. That I mean, we I love steal it. From. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love, I, I love putting little nods here and there, but we've, we separated ourselves from Thundercats a long time ago. Yep. And David Bowie is a fantastic inspiration. And but incredible it's time to move musician. on to, to Billy Idol Island and <laughs> Billy Idol Island. Absolutely. It's a nice day to start again. But there's 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 so much like we literally have the whole world is open. So let's step outside a little bit. We don't have to have appropriation from other uh, pop culture influences. It's it's funny because one of the things that I was thinking about a lot was just how much because I've seen a decent amount of terrain in my travels throughout my life. But it's easy to forget what else is out there. And you're talking about, you know, we've taken a lot from Bowie, we've taken a lot from this, but there is a whole world out there. And that can be really overwhelming. Like, I went to this place, San Juan Batista in California, which is just south of San Francisco. And just in that area, you're seeing mountains, you're seeing valleys, you're seeing rural flat areas like maybe you would find in Middle America or the northern parts of the East Coast. But you drive a little bit further out and you've got nothing but cliffs. You drive a little bit further north and you're just in the forests. There is so much. This place is fucking huge. And it's easy to forget just how big it is. Because we just concern ourselves with our day to day. So on the one hand, we do need to take into consideration how large everything is because it gives us a lot of freedom. We literally have the whole world. We literally have the whole world. But at the same time, I think we need to we need to narrow down where the lightning dogs actually takes place. Where is their day to day? America. Well, I know it's America, but what America <laughs> is fucking huge, dude. Well, I think we, we established much earlier that we didn't want to pin the lightning dogs down to any particular place. You know, it's not a story about a post-apocalyptic New York, you know, like even though the Echo Building is reminiscent of the Chrysler Building, it's mm-hmm. you know, it's not. 
and and the the continental drift has happened and the disasters have happened so we could say it, anything yeah it's it's not a discernible terrain we don't need to know where they are if if i was but, pressed to say i would say north america probably middle america like kansas or uh, oklahoma though that completely gets rid of all well potentially gets rid of all the different coastal things that we've talked about well they would have to get to the coast yeah. but to that end let's not limit ourselves in the stories we can tell but we need to narrow the focus you know where it is springfield usa okay that's perfectly fine with its four Cause neighboring it's, cause it's areas of san francisco is, new york it is an equal distance orlando anywhere Florida. in america but let's let's start to define that let's start to define their stomping grounds mm-hmm. because Unless they've got a plan in mind, because we've discussed giving them a home base, Mm -hmm. which a home base implies uh, an area out of which they operate. We are starting to run into the fact that the entire world is there for us to create, and we don't need to create it all at once. So let's focus on what needs to get fleshed out and then start to build from that. Let's get a starting point, because right now we've jumped from Antarctica to Japan to the mm-hmm. Arctic itself mm-hmm. to the coasts well, to I, New York I, to Middle I, America to Canada to I definitely Transylvania, f- where Glampire obviously operates out of. <laughs> That's the other thing. I, we, we still have so much about Glampire that we don't know, and we do mm-hmm. want to keep a mystery. So we need to figure out maybe not necessarily where he is, but definitely more of what he's currently up to. What's the status quo of a normal day? As far as the lightning dogs traveling and seeing the world, I always thought that when we start lightning dogs, they're kind of limited to one area where they do have a home base, yep. and that's like maybe where they destroyed the far fetch, or maybe not because if they destroyed the far fetch, why stick around? It's kind of yeah, pe- the people are going to know they're there. Exactly right. Um, and or- originally, I'd wanted them to be based out of there, but then I realized that was just pointless because of the disaster that creates their powers. It's like, essentially lighting a torch and then sitting next to it. But they, the way I see it is, there's about a hundred mile space that they exist in with Glampire. And Glampire makes a case really early on for why they should be concerned about him, why he's the primary threat. So they're guarding a couple things. One, they know that they were near, you know, the location of a far-fetched. There may be others nearby. They're not sure what that means exactly. Two, Glampire, he's a very important person. Mm-hmm. That He might not be the only power player on Earth, but he has something in mind he has a plan. Yeah, he's an imminent threat, and he clearly has something going on because he's growing all those crystals, and there's probably no one else on the planet who can say that they're doing that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they know that the ruins of their only way home are in that area. Their biggest threat is in that area. So the lightning dogs aren't necessarily going to go on globetrotting adventures. At least not at first. At least not at first. Maybe season one is them trying to figure out just what they need to do in order to get there. In order Something to survive. happens at the end of yeah. season one, season two, that they wind up having to go on a globe-trotting uh, trip. In oh, order and to that's get. that's kind of where I was getting I'm at. In, I'm in no rush to send them around the world because, you know, we, you talk about how well we're talking about Antarctica and Japan and all that, but that's nothing. Those are just, like, story points, and those are just origin places for characters, characters who inevitably have a reason to come to where the lightning dogs already are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm really not, like, we can flesh out the rest of the world in our in our own due time, but I'm, I'm not particularly worried about that. I, I think what we need to focus on are the wasteland vistas of, let's say, a 100-mile region of destroyed America. And that's okay. as much detail as we need to give it because the more specific we get, the more we reduce our ability to be creative about it and yeah. to really challenge ourselves to come up with something unique. Well, I'm not necessarily saying that we need to specify a part in America. We're on the same page, Cap. We're yeah. just reading from different editions of the same volume. I would I would only say uh, North America, not because I live there, <laughs> but well, right. What you know, Doug. Right. Yeah. Well, but 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 it's it's a large enough space that, that we could have 100 to 200 miles. That, yeah. That that has the terrain can change 
reasonably and in, in an interesting way. By, by North America, I'm like including Canada and everything mm-hmm. above. So because there's no there's no maps, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. there's there's no outlines, there's no states, there's no anything. It's just a chunk of land that if you go from east to west, the terrain changes in in interesting ways. You go north and south, same thing. So any direction you choose, interesting things can happen. We're also dealing with a, a lot of themes surrounding certain aspects of America and Americana, like Wolfman Jack and the Hot Rods, and uh, even Glampire's former status as a power-hungry industrialist. Mm-hmm. And, N- uh, not exclusive to yeah. America, of course, but we've got a reputation. <laughs> and uh, the wild buffalo, tyrannosaur, dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, the buffasaurus. All that, all that fun stuff. Buffasaurus, yeah. So let's start hashing out some of those vistas. I mean, a couple of places that have mm-hmm. always stood out to me. I really want a coastal region. I really yeah. want a coastal region, if for no other reason than just to have it there as a looming area where we don't go. I think that's important. I think it's important to have not only a place where they traditionally do go, but also where they don't, so that if they do wind up there for any particular for any reason, we know that something's gone wrong. What kind of terrain? I mean, do we picture? I, I've always pictured like mountains in the distance, some kind of cave formations as we talk about the wasteland. Are we picturing kind of a rocky terrain? I mean, what kind of stuff do you guys have? You know, it's gone back and forth with me between like that Mad Max desert where it's just basically sand. <laughs> you know, when we and, started um, this, a Mad Max film was not even a possibility. Yeah, and, and then, then, then Fury all of a sudden came Fury along, and, it's just like, and it great. was marvelous. It is great, but it's it's just like, oh man, now now we've got those direct those like, inevitable uh, comparisons. Yeah. Our, our, our homage to Mad Max that this that was such a focus on the story is isn't, now a little isn't, too isn't on quite the nose. as clever anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think maybe what if it's just what if it's just more of an American desert where it's more a little more rocky than say the Mad Max. I mean, I always had canyons and and stuff like so that. So maybe some place kind of like I mean, what about you know Arizona? Yeah, I was, yeah, was going to say, say like, Arizona, Nevada, sort something of the, like that. Like the painted desert. Now, granted, in real life, the painted desert has tons of life, you know, and 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 plants and flora and fauna of all, of all kinds. Well, well, this does too, right? But it could be. <laughs> that's the thing. It doesn't ha- like originally when we were discussing lightning dogs, it was more of like a lifeless, sand blown wasteland. Whereas now I'm thinking it's still technically a wasteland, but there can be cacti and all this other stuff, but weird kinds that we've never seen before. And through the virtue of the inevitable giant divide that's going to remove California from the rest of the states mm-hmm. gives us that coast because it's right in that same region. I mean, if True we want to if we want to look at global shapes, we've got projected sea levels for the next like, you know, few hundred years. So we can go to the most extreme version of that and, uh, and just see what pops up. Yeah. And then and then like, let's say the sea levels rose because that probably happened uh, before humanity even, you know, did the far-fetched stuff. So that they've already, they've already coped with that. They've already dealt with all that New stuff. New beach housing available. So contact your realtor today. You know, so so that's that's already said, you know, over and done with. But then the disaster happens and then we're seeing biomes where there wouldn't normally be biomes. We could invert the poles if we wanted to. You know, we can do whatever. We can take this like sea level risen map of, of the world and then just use a smudge tool on it and be like, hey, we want a little little bit over there and just yeah. you know, stretch it all around. Yeah. And um, again, we don't have to be 100% accurate to any of that stuff. It just makes it interesting. Just just like, again, like saying, okay, well, Mad Max did that. We're not, we don't want to be Mad Max. We don't want to try and outdo what Mad Max did. We want to make it different and interesting. Well, Mad Max is in that sand blasted mm-hmm. desert. Let's give him a desert full of life. And it's just different. No, and, and, it, and, and that also opens it up to there's more things to see and do. Not to mention the idea of a clear, flat area leads to an ever-present sense of tension. Mm-hmm. And, because and, and, if you can see the threat literally looming on the horizon right. at any time, knowing that it's out there. And it's still moving to you. Yeah. 
I mean, it was something that they did do in Fury Road, and we don't necessarily need to emulate it right. entirely. But again, that, but, we're talking like an Arizona-style desert, huge rock structures, all that fun stuff. You could have another flat area that's just not a desert, say, uh, the American Plains. Yeah, stand-up comedian once said that, you know, his dog ran away from him in Arizona, and he got to watch him leave for three days. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty good one. So, I mean, same sort of idea. So we've got that. We've got, obviously, some some cliffs, and I think the kind of... Oh, what's the the name for those? Grand Canyon? Buttes? The Buttes, yes. The Mesas? The Buttes and the Mesas. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing, I think, would make for some excellent either cave-dwelling societies. Also, just great imagery. I mean, hell, fucking Cap, you remember, we're talking about the uh, Kansas album cover. Yeah, Monolith. That's that's straight out of the American West. Yeah, I mean, that's been my vision for lightning dog yeah. since day one practically yeah. and that's, well, that's basically what we're talking about now so and for me it's, it's switched between that and the more palette swapped like whenever you picture like the american midwest and that being destroyed it's always very orange warm hues and when mm-hmm. you picture say the east coast anything on the east coast for whatever reason winds up being drenched in the light blue very drab very cold because i know mostly the east coast when i default to say a destroyed city or something like that i picture it there who else here has been reading The Walking Dead? I've Yo. Read, read The Walking Dead forever, yeah. Yeah, so then you guys already can see what I'm talking about, where it's like when they go on their trek, they have harsh winters. Oh, like yeah. They start, in, they start in Georgia, right, in like the mm-hmm. fucking swamp, and then they move their way up north towards making their way towards D.C., and they have like this harsh winter that they have to go through, and then like a normal spring afterwards, but I mean, of course, there's zombies, but you see what I'm saying? It's like there's... Of course. There, there's a lot of... The, and it's nobody's, all in a... Nobody's discounting the zombies. Yeah, it's all, it's all in, a, in, a, in a broken down post-apocalyptic suburban America, mm-hmm. basically, urban and suburban America. There's a lot of fun stuff. We're not obviously we're not the only ones to notice this. There's I, a lot of fun stuff that I can think be had there. When when the dogs like, you know, actually see Earth for the first time, it needs to look like a worst case scenario for yeah, sure. No, no we, for sure. We can get into like to weird forests and all the other stuff. But I feel like a scorched earth that's reminiscent of like nuclear holocaust right. is important to maintain. That, that that's their first impression. Yeah. yeah. That, that everything yeah. is dead. Yeah. They're like they they come here thinking Hey, if we're lucky, maybe we'll meet a master. Maybe we'll we'll get the secrets and unlock, you know, all the answers we wanted to know, all the dog has wanted to know for years and years. But then they get here. And maybe and we'll die of hi- dehydration. Yeah. But they get here and it's just confusion of like, why would they lead us here? Why here? What is this place? There's nothing can live here. But of course, you explore a little further out. You start to find all so, kinds of crazy stuff. To that end, we've got a coastal region we know we've got and we know the basic makeup what are some other vistas that we need i mean is we, there going to be well we talked about jungles and antarctica well, for the distance stuff we're looking at this desolation this combination of modern stuff destroyed with kind of grim weather-worn natural landscapes and so on and then also the inclusion of buildings built by the creatures that came after mankind mm-hmm. so there's so much for us to work with here there's spin-offs of modern architecture spin-offs of ruined future architecture maybe let's say medieval or gothic style structures that the other creatures are capable of building okay. which would be hinged very strongly on recycling the things left over by the future structures and so on i already thought of a location that's purely tied to captain scrap and i don't know where it is but what the location is is like pirates of the caribbean style hidden sea cave that you can sail a ship into then the tide rises and then no one can get in and then you wait for the tide to go down then you can leave again but inside is like a i don't want to say carved out but definitely like a huge hollow cavern 
just old pirate style of where you know where he keeps his loot and uh you know he's got torches so a pirate and, cove yeah it's a yeah a pirate cove just embedded in the sea cave like if uh what uh what's the the goonies the, the cliffs in england what are those cl- the, the, the white... cliffs of dover cliffs of dover something like that's like oh when the sea level goes down enough there's a hole in the cliffs of dover you go in and inside is just all this pirate cove that's tortuga except it's just for captain you, you know it'd be interesting it's, if, it's like... tortuga because it's for turtles <laughs> <laughs> tortuga i'd be down with tortuga just a few more turtle shells maybe a pizzeria right um, yeah but all but all made out of made out of uh, i know yeah, not the pizzeria but, but i was it's... agreeing to the turtle shell part <laughs> an industrial post-apocalyptic pirate cove yeah we yeah. can work with that that's great Imagine like certain parts of the coastline lined with beach ships, pieces of oil rig. I mean, I don't, I'm no fucking expert on the sea or anything, you know, and if an oil rig breaks, it's probably going to plummet into the ocean, but yeah. likely sooner or later, it's going to get washed to somewhere, at least pieces. Like, yeah. yeah, pieces. And especially to, if the oceans are going to get as violent as we have described them. Uh, just, yeah, just imagine. Kaiju's like, get that fucking out of here. Like, whatever. I was like, what is this, an oil rig? I'll throw it like a Frisbee. <laughs> trash washes up on the beach. Oh, yeah. Imagine what the trash is in the scale of a global catastrophe. Yeah, like that. What's and that giant, that giant cluster of the, garbage in the ocean? Yeah, the, the, the landmass in the Pacific. Yeah, yeah. If, if you get enough Kaiju combat out, there and you get enough uh sea levels going up and down in the in the waves we've also what's got, like, to say that that doesn't just wash ashore and then one beach could be like that cove or one beach could be like that that just that dark beach that we don't really go to because it's scary but another beach could just be a jungle of fucking junk and, like, and, and we don't have to explain everything like if you want the right. Im- improbability of a stack of cars coming out of the beach Make a stack of cars coming out the beach we'll worry about yeah, out there later it's like if we say like the the half of california falls into the sea yeah. So then what what's not to say that Las Vegas is barely peeking out of I mean I know Las Vegas is not in not technically there. Well Vegas is never going to die. Vegas yeah. is the cockroach <laughs> of the Americana. <laughs> well Las Vegas yeah. Everything everything's fine in Las Vegas. People are just a little bit more tan. That's really the, What? The world ended. I've been in here on slots this whole time. I got no idea. But yeah. We'll we'll, we'll save that for an Elseworlds issue. Yeah. But literally, uh, yeah, anything. We can do anything coming out of the ocean or anything that's so, on, on the coastline. Well, and imagine a place like Vegas mm-hmm. that's been destroyed and subsequently rebuilt by monsters. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So let's start hashing out a couple of locations. Not just things we want to see, but places we want to have within this block that we have created that is LDUSA. So I've written down a couple right now. We've got Glampire's Lair. We've got some ideas as to what that is. Generally, I think we're all kind of in the like, you know, almost gothic architecture, yeah, like a I, castle we, we he's repurposed. Gotta, we still got to figure out what does he live in? I mean, I know we're all kind of thinking castle. It'd be too easy to make it like a theme park. I'm not against that at all. Okay, but I, I, I'm not like, a, I'm not 100% against it. I'm just thinking your Glampire, the wasteland is yours. Do you really want to go live in Cinderella's castle? I mean, you know what I, I'm saying? I, I, like, here, here's what I'm thinking. Like, I'm thinking it's some kind of a combination of fragments of a skyscraper and googie architecture, like a little bit of like Frank Lloyd Wright. Like, it's this kind of like horrible hybrid jutting out. It's like, imagine a really posh 1970s, super stylistic, retro futuristic swing and pad, but on like a, a skyscraper scale, like built into the side of a mountain, but then also subsequently like destroyed and rebuilt several times over. It's a, a fusion of styles. It looks very dramatic like kind of like the reverse of what happened in gargoyles with xanatos's tower where you had that ancient scottish castle atop a giant skyscraper right 
This is a, a mountain with like a bunch of Frank Lloyd Wright shit on it. Yeah. And it's all kind of cobbled together in weird ways. And I know the answer to this is probably going to be no. Can we have that MC Escher room in there somewhere just so that we can reenact the Jareth scene well, from Labyrinth? Here's here's the Labyrinth carryover. No, but here's the <laughs> I knew it. When I've been thinking about Glampire's Lair, I have been thinking about it in a perspective of there is a castle and there is all that spews out beneath it, like the Goblin City and the Labyrinth, such as it is, and so on. So like, I feel like Glampire's domain is like that, is structured okay. like that. Gotcha. So, so you can... You so can, he's like atop a butte, and then it all kind of... Right. You can imagine Glampire's domain looking like that, but the aesthetics are just completely different. I gotcha. No, a lot, lot more spider, a lot more crystal. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm down with that. I'm pretty sure I shared with you guys a website that does, like, you can mix your own ambient background sound effects. Yes. yes. And I shared a Glampire throne room soundscape that I created. And when I made it, I was thinking very gothic castle, but almost, like, made out of crystal. So it's got a very shiny sound to it. You can only build it out of, like, uh, like 500 or so sound effects that are available to you. So I even took a couple sound effects of ghosts. It's just, like, just just Woo! something that's, yeah, not ex- that not that exactly, but definitely I'll something. Call it change. Well, it was, it's more like whispering, like evil whispering. Oh, gotcha. So it's, like, some place that's creepy, but you would almost think it's magic. But is it, or is it just fucking with your head sort of thing? Gotcha. Because we, and another thing, we don't even know what Glampire's powers are. What does he do? Well, we, we have, I mean, because we have yet to do our big Glampire right. expose episode. Right. So um, that, that's why I kind of threw a lot of stuff into this soundscape. So that whenever I was trying to think about Glampire stuff, I'd put the soundscape on and just try and get visuals. But that's, that made me quickly realize we don't really have a lot of stuff on him, especially where he lives. But again, I was just erring on the side of Gothic Crystal Castle. Another thing that we haven't really nailed down that I've got some recent ideas for is what the Lightning Dog base kind of feels like. Right. The SWAT Cats Junkyard, actually, is popping into my head a lot as inspiration. Something where they're primarily underground and they've got something above ground that seems innocuous and they're able to kind of pop out of it. Nothing as ostentatious as a giant mechanical lion coming out of the side of a cliff <laughs> right right i'm into that like because they, they need to be occupying some kind of a place that they can that they can call home yeah and i want them to be able to move around eventually like as we said because i like the story arc that tends to happen in various incarnations of ninja turtles where like they have they their go base, on a road trip and it's really and they're based no no i mean oh. the road trip sure but like they have their base and their base is really cool and then eventually they have to leave that home just like and then and then come up with another base that's even cooler and so on, and then maybe go back to their old base. When and then somehow wind down. up in upstate New York. They have different locations. Mm-hmm. Like when in, in Ninja Turtles 2, the film, like where they discover the subway uh, the, station, the subway station like that, was, that was a really cool moment. People have always, people have come back to that, like even though it's a, it's a shitty movie. That Not was a as cool bad thing. as 3. It's subjective. But uh, anyhow, uh, it's a cool thing to be able to have, like move around like that. We have to create a place that feels good. It feels like, like a, a right home. And I think, you know, a facility kind of area would be good they can't live above ground like they have to be in secret but i don't know if we're ready for them to have a fully concealed hangar in any kind of professional sense like the blackbird coming out from beneath the uh, Could basketball be, uh, court, but... area 51 i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm actually, I'm, I'm not mad at that. I am actually, that, wow. Okay, well, what if it was like Harry 51? What if it was the, that NORAD kind of facility? The one built into the mountain? That yeah, I can't remember the name, but I know I know the one you're talking. Because Area about. 51 is kind of like a hide and broad daylight kind of thing. The only thing keeping you out of there is the fact that there's because there, well, there's Blackhawks. Yeah, there's that rumored uh, other like site B to Area 51 that's in the mountains. Mm. Um, there's that, but the the, the NORAD one is the one. What's that one place? I think it's in the Appalachian Mountains where they store all the really old films so that if there ever actually was a nuclear apocalypse, that stuff would be safe. It's like there's priceless pieces of art. There's like original prototypes of other technology and stuff. This is a real place, mind you. It's and it's like super deep in this mountain. Richie uh, Rich's family heirloom. I, I, I believe we're talking about the same place. I mean, we no, might be. Nor, yeah. NORAD is the command center built into the side of a mountain. It goes deep. People live in there. Subterranean lifestyles. The government has a lot of facilities that are in there. I don't know if they're storing like precious artifacts in there as well. But and I don't. I don't mean artifacts like Indiana Jones stuff. I mean like yeah. literally, they have like an original print of Gone with the Wind. And, right. and other pieces of, of art that we consider part of our culture. It that belongs they, they, in a museum. Yeah, they, they, they have it preserved in there literally in case there's a nuclear apocalypse and they want something to find it later. It'd be interesting if that something is the lightning dogs. I mean, that might be like a good secondary thing because that's like that's an awful lot about human culture that's to be gifted to the lightning dogs early on. Right. That's but, true. They, they and I mean, it, the other know. thing to tie into your point about Area 51 being hiding in plain sight, obviously they're not going to be there as it stands right now, this would be a facility largely destroyed that Glampire and his minions would have completely ransacked. So why would they think to look for the lightning dogs there? And it would be somewhat entertaining to have these extraterrestrials hiding out in the base where extraterrestrials are supposed to be. I think what we're realizing here is that, yeah, they may start off kind of lost and they can have a temporary home base. But with Glampire way too close for comfort, there's no chance that they can stay there forever. They, there's no chance they can stay there forever. So they're going to have to go on the road and they're going to be on the road for a long time. And that's when they're going to start meeting up different new friends. Yeah. New, new enemies. enemies. And uh, they're brand gonna, new season. Tune gonna, in this fall. They're going to have a lot of different places where they're going to call home for a temporary time. Maybe in Area 51, maybe the NORAD mountain base. But at the end of the day. They're going to have to realize there is no place like home. They got to get back to Domus. Like they got to run as a pack to get there. Yeah. And they have to, they have to meet Glampire head on because he's squatting right on top of the last Farfetch. And it's I mean, it's not a working Farfetch. It's a destroyed one. But there's no chance unless they stop. I him. mean, insofar as the discussion about like locations and bases and everything, like what we really need to do is we really need to continue stockpiling reference material and going through all that in our respective like depositories of all these files. There's so many things to mine, like the um, modern day castles, that real estate website that's all like uh, mm -hmm. nuclear silos and everything. Because mm -hmm. the dogs will be on the road for a time as they, they won't know where they're going to go immediately after that. And only through like the, the aid of like Wolfman Jack and other things will be able, be able to figure out like, you know, where they can go to find some kind of shelter and, and how to build it up to like protect themselves and so on. We need to take inspiration from the desolate places out of Russia, the abandoned spaceports. Overgrown. That airport that was built like three years ago, right before a crash, and I mean, it's it's an international airport and completely abandoned. Now, see, yeah, like even having an airport where they have 
where they do their car stuff could be interesting. There's there's so many options. So we should we need to be able to like spread all these options out on the table, digitally speaking, and uh, and explore that. And in the meantime, just to paint our own vistas, like less so sketch and more so like anything that we can do in broad strokes. Because like mm-hmm. when we're at this conceptual level, precision is going to hurt us. We need to have like rough ideas. You know, when you, when you're conceptualizing anything, especially something that, that involves like an alien world or something, you know, George Lucas might say, okay, well, I'm designing Naboo. And uh, Naboo, it's, it's very um, sort of Italian uh, Renaissance inspired, very lovely place. It's kind of an idyllic planet, like height of architecture and artwork, uh, very Baroque almost in how lavish everything is. That's all he gives them. He's not a concept artist himself. And, and then people go off and they create the vistas for like the main city in Naboo and like the, mm-hmm. there'll, be a, there'll be a city, there'll be some forests. We already have right now anything that a creator like George Lucas would already be giving to his design team. For him to then be like, okay, so make as many pictures as possible, and then I'll pick the ones that I like or ones that I think is cool enough to develop a sequence around. We're at that point right now. And so that's why I'm saying we don't need to worry about these specifics because specifics could harm our creativity in a lot of sense here. We need to know, like, we know that the wasteland is a desolated America. Mm -hmm. We know we want to focus on a desert landscape here. Mm -hmm. So go. There's peopleoids, there's monsters. There's maybe an ocean somewhere not too far away within 100 miles, 200 miles, and lots of places for people to drive like kick-ass hot rods, like a, a place where you grow crystals. Is it subterranean? Is it above ground? doesn't really matter as long as it's cool looking. We have all the possibilities here. We just need to give ourselves, one, the time to sit down and really think about these things on our independent time to, to then come together again, and two, the time to create them fully, like visually where in Doug's case, probably notes or something, you know, whatever works. We got a, mm-hmm. a lot of opportunities here. And I think the best thing to do is to treat it like it would be for any film or television series and take these pitches and like develop them from there. Because, you know, really, if you want set locations, then um, the best thing to do would be to start writing scripts and be like, all right, well, I want we need the narrative. this, we need this, yeah. we need this. But right now we need to go overview, which means okay. we, need, we need loose sketches of vistas. We need scenic stuff. Yeah. And that's something I, I can do. It's not something I do often because characters are, are more fun to draw. But we need to get used to doing the scenic yeah. stuff and look at like all the production artwork that Mobius did. You know, he's got a lot of great character work, but that's a guy who does some like crazy scapes. You'll see like, you know, you'll you might see like a skiff going across the scenery, but then you'll see the landscape and how it moves mm-hmm. and all that. And like, that's the stuff that turns into the world. That's the stuff we need to do. That's why I don't think we can pin it down much more because we really need our imaginations to do that for us, not our words. What I was going for more than necessarily trying to pin it down mm. was, at least for my part, a little bit more direction. Part of it could just be because I've done so much commission work for so long that I work better within a box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking for a couple other boundaries, just a couple other things for me to ping off. Yeah, of. no, I, I got you. I understand. Everybody works differently and it's hard to figure out how to make that work. A lot of the character stuff I can still do because I've done character design for sure. here, there, and everywhere. But world building the way that I did, say, back when I was in high school, it's I, I'm a long way from there. So yeah. I have been kind of restricting myself to what others have requested of me, both for the work I've done for Nerdy Show and also for outside places. Yeah. And I like playing in a confined box because then it's like, okay, here are the rules. What can I do to twist it in a way that might not be expected and still present what people are asking of me? Yeah, I get that. You know, because I could say, go to Tumblr, go to all the, the blogs that follow ruined, desolate spaces and just click, play with it and click through until you have an idea. Like I said, I was wanting to get an idea of yeah. a couple of locales to kick around because 
I feel like we've done a lot of broad strokes for the area these guys are going to be playing around with. And I wanted to just get an idea as to where to shine a light to try and start to develop those areas a little bit more richly. And we can figure out how, say, the map connects to each other later. Yeah. I mean, I've got enough to go on to get started, especially Captain Scraps thing. I really like the idea of almost an inverted spider's web for Glampire's lair, whereas Mm -hmm. uh, it's generally something that, you know, the edges are the touch points and then it's connected in the center versus what glampire's layer could be where the epicenter is at the top of a giant thing it's almost like a spider's web has been laid down on top of something and it's like a blanket with a, a focal point sure yeah there's some cool stuff to go with i just was in talking with me i'm sure you've noticed cap that i tend to free associate when there's nothing else going on and there's a there's a lot of things that come to mind <laughs> Whee! yeah yeah i'm sorry man we all work differently so i guess uh yeah well you got the you got that short list if all else fails there's that okay This is but the first step into a much larger world. But with all this open road, we've got to have some vehicles to get around. Some kind of trademark hot rods have been part of the Lightning Dogs concept since the beginning, but up to this point, we hadn't really cemented anything. However, as luck would have it, the man responsible for the first Lightning Dogs fan art is a gearhead with a penchant for vehicle design, as evidenced by a hot little number that appeared one day in our Lightning Dogs forum thread. You know, it's funny. Max Cree did the dog catcher, which is an idea that I pitched in like the second episode and all you motherfuckers shot down. And that's essentially what I was picturing. Well, hold on a second. Hold on. Now, now Max isn't here to back himself up, but Doug and I did talk to Max Mm -hmm. and we said, don't do anything Tony says ever again. (laughs) No, I'm joking. Um, God damn it. It was actually really it was really cool. But I'll, I'll let Cap finish. He's a guy who knows a lot about vehicles. Mm-hmm. And, and as you may know, we don't know no, absolutely. a lot about and vehicles. So we've talked to him about him coming in to work with us to create the Lightning Dogs vehicles. Now, as, as the dog catcher, I want you to know, Tony, I still wasn't hot on the idea. Okay, that's I, fair. I, I think it is too on the nose. However, if I look at his car design and take away the fact that it is a dog catching vehicle, it had enough. I was like, look at this thing. If we just add some more stuff on it and take some stuff away, we got we got ourselves a vehicle right here. Uh-huh. And also, I think maybe a dog catcher vehicle for the enemies would be a little bit more apropos. Like a and we could call it the dog catcher as far as action figure speak right, goes. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, it basically is a prison. It's a it's a truck prison thing. Now you see, I would say that that's too on the nose. That them repurposing it and using it for their own stuff and just tricking it out like a badass hot rod, exactly as Max did it. You're well, a beautiful man, Max Cree. Hold on, hold on. It's like the child I'm, I'm not, catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang. I'm Bang. not really saying it, it's a dog. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a dog catcher car, like a straight up dog catcher car, because I think that is too on the nose. Okay. But a mobile prison unit with like a big grabbing hand called the dog catcher that they made purposely. Okay, like that, let's get the lightning dogs. Yeah. That's what's in my mind. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. No, and I'd be down with that. All this like crystal tech like bonded to the side of it. I don't know if crystal prison bars are too much. I mean, that might actually like supercharge somebody. Who knows? Well, it's yeah. crystal prison. Yeah, it's like you put someone in the crystal prison and then like they get supercharged, then they explode out of there. And Glampire is like, so let me get this straight. <laughs> but the lightning dogs whose power them. their powers based off of the crystals that exploded and what did you put them in you surrounded them with crystals that you took from my crystal field <laughs> and now they're gone <laughs> we don't know if they actually get amped from the crystals in fact they probably shouldn't yeah they shouldn't probably um, yeah. except for kid she would like she could probably walk over well, she would be she could walk over to the crystals and like put her hands on the bars and then charge them to where they would vibrate and then explode and well, then they I, could get out because who else would you put in that prison who would seem weak enough to just put them in a, in a crystal prison put kid not angela think the one, you well, think the yeah, one yeah. that's that's angela, powerless angela could break through it dingo could probably shout through it pierre you just can't catch him king corso maybe 
because he's not really. I mean, he's, he's yeah, but he's strength. he's in cahoots at this point. True. All dubious crystal and entrapments aside, before Max could formally start to work concepting cars, he had a critical question that concerned the overall visual representation of lightning dogs as a whole. Max was talking with us in an email as far as like, well, before I, you know, start designing vehicles and so on, in order to not need to like work backwards at any point, think about what the overall style visually of lightning dogs is. So I've been thinking about that for the past week now. And um, what I would like to propose is a style focusing on the heavy blacks as seen in early mid 90s animation, specifically SWAT cats, uh, SWAT cats gargoyles, Mighty Max, that commercial for Secret of Evermore. I don't know if he has frame reference for that, but it's really cool. I'm also entirely down with all of that. It's kind of funny because I've experimented with a more heavy black style like that, particularly when I was doing the second, when I'm continuing to do the second issue of Jamella. Mm. All that stuff underground, I was trying to play around with it a little bit more. So I think it'll work for it very well. It kind of evokes that sort of graphic sensibility. And is also really good for desolate places. Oh, yeah. Like then then you, you, you see it, you feel it. And as far as like, you know, the, the level of detail in the world, the style detail, I mean, I think with uh, with your character designs for the characters, that has a good feel for as, I don't know, I guess as many lines as we would expect. If this were an animation, that's as, as many lines as we would expect would be featured on these characters and so on. Mm -hmm. We're obviously not animating in the style I draw in. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Probably no one should ever do that. Uh, there was like there's well, there's one person who used to, and that was the gentleman who I think it, was it Ralph Bakshi. Yeah, Bakshi. I mean, yeah, he likes to keep things dirty. I'm thinking specifically of the Raggedy Ann and Andy movie. Shit, did Bakshi do that? I think it was, and it was. I mean, lavish, gorgeous stuff. Because it, 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 did Bakshi do Cool World? Yeah. Then yes, it's he also did the Raggedy Ann and Andy movie. Actually, and it pains me to say this, I was wrong. It wasn't Ralph Bakshi who did the Raggedy Ann and Andy movie. It was legendary animator Richard Williams, best known for Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the pinnacle of hand-drawn animation, The Thief and the Cobbler. Raggedy Ann and Andy, a musical adventure, has actually never been released outside of VHS and RCA video disc. But check out this episode's page for a link to where you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. And if you've only ever seen the commercially available Thief and the Cobbler, allow us to direct you to the recobbled cut which restores Richard Williams' far superior, originally intended version. There's nothing else like it, except for maybe Disney's Aladdin, which ripped it off quite a bit. But that is a very complicated story, which, not coincidentally, is the subject of a documentary that we'll also link to. Cliff notes, it's a beautiful mess where the film that got ripped off wound up getting ripped off by the film that ripped it off to become The Thief and the Cobbler. But all that aside... During this recording, we never figured out that it was Richard Williams I was initially meaning, and we kept on talking about Ralph Bakshi. Bakshi is great, but so is Richard Williams, and he doesn't get enough love. So anyway, here's us talking about Bakshi instead. If we could make lightning dogs look like Bakshi, particularly some of his kind of cityscape stuff, like um, American Pop or something, with like rotoscoped people walking down dirty streets... I would lose my mind, but I got the feeling we're not going to be able to take it there. We'll, we'll wait until the episode where Pierre eats some psychedelic things, because every cartoon show has something like that when it's aiming for our demographic, and we'll incorporate it in there. <laughs> I also, it's not exactly reminiscent of the heavy black style, but I think it has a good feel for how much detail goes into character design, but then also a great level of detail that goes into the backgrounds and vehicles and so on. And I know it's a high bar, but I really think we should shoot for it. Akira. Oh, fuck. 
That's like saying, look, I know it's a really high bar, but I think we need to be the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> like it's like, <laughs> no, I, I know, I know. But I mean, like, when, holy God, when, 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 we, when we show something at a scale, like a massive scale, it should be as impressive as when we see an establishing shot in Akira. You know, it should be that detailed. The characters, they don't have to move much. I'm just I, I, I am just going to say that even because what you're describing, there's a there's a brilliant YouTube video out there saying why Akira is one of the most important films in cinematic history, where it shows you a, a cityscape, a lavishly painted cityscape with lights on in every window. And it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. And it's one of eight layers that shows up in a five second shot. Yes. And yes. it's the one furthest removed from anything and everything that's going on that you see a, a half a glimpse of. Yes. No, I know. I know it's extreme, but that's just I'm, as far as the style guide. I'm talking about like as far as like if we're looking at a still image of lightning dogs because we're nowhere near ready to animate this thing just looking at a still image of it and we're seeing like the characters you know move around like the the, the line quality the, the width of line and everything mm -hmm. that's kind of what i'm talking about and with backgrounds i would love to see shots that could show off scale in the same way akira does now i we're not going to be legitimately at that level not in a million billion years of course there's so much more we can do now cheaply and simply than they were able to do then but I hear where you're coming from, and it is an exceptionally high bar, but it is something that I also think it is worth striving for. You know, if for. we look at it and we're like, all right, how am I going to do the budget version of that? <laughs> we'll still be pretty good. We're going to Swede Akita backgrounds. I wouldn't say Swede, but... I uh, mean, and but... this probably points to, like, to us needing someone who actually does that kind of background painting full time, because neither you, we're talking about doing these, these vistas and stuff, neither you nor I spend much time doing anything like that at all. A lot of people like to complain about, say, drawing hands. I have no problem with it, but I have, feel like I'm drawing hands when I try and draw backgrounds because it's like, this doesn't look right. You, you, do, you work in very fine, precise lines, and doing this kind of concept art, at least to start with, is impressionistic. Yeah, and it, that breaks me a little bit. Right. It breaks me because it's like, no, it's not right. Something's not right. I got to find this. This might be another, another opportunity where we need to find more people to collaborate with to really bring this to life. But that's, it's I mean, also, we're building a team. So on the flip side of it too, this is an excellent opportunity for me to grow as an artist. So I can't neglect that either. And this sort of thing where we might want to create an impression of a scene with color before we add detail to even decide what it is. It's a bunch of different ways of thinking. It's a bunch of different artistic disciplines that we're, you know, we're winging because we all have our various expertise and this isn't one of them. And this is just to help give us more ideas for the possibilities of the world. Because Doug and I could, could start cranking out scripts basically as soon as we know the background of the world but um well here we are here we are aru aru hashtag hell noise does that conclude this episode of lightning dogs i, I think, think so. that does conclude this episode of lightning dogs because I, I i the creative juices i wouldn't say they've all been squeezed out but they have definitely blown their load okay <laughs> colorful imagery ladies and gentlemen in our next episode we bring on two other artists but no neither of them are adept at scenic concept art either it's actually something we're still in need of, though Cap has done a couple of pieces that mimic the style of animated backgrounds from the cartoons of that era, and we'll link to those on this episode's page. Something that's been a big source of inspiration for the locales of Lightning Dogs is the sci-fi art and 80s airbrushed goodness that we repost over on the Lightning Dogs Tumblr page at lightningdogs.tumblr.com. So much of it is representative of what we're looking for that it's kept us warm on lonely nights while we've busied ourselves with other facets of development. That said, we're past ready to pull someone in to help us further define the look of the Lightning Dogs world. 
There are a couple of artists that we've got our eyes on, but if you know of any quality folks with a knack for sci-fi scenery, shoot us a message. But before we can bring anyone on, we'll need to be able to pay such a person. That's why we're working towards a goal of $200 a month to ensure we can continue to afford the assistance of awesome freelance artists, such as Max Acree and this hypothetical future landscape artist. Head to patreon.com slash lightning dogs to join up. You'll become a member of the pack and get access to lots of behind-the-scenes content like full sketchbook pages and very soon a side podcast called The Wasteland Drive-In where we watch films that we suspect will inspire new ideas for lightning dogs and share our takeaways. Things like Treasure Planet, the obscure Mark Hamill and Bill Paxton movie Slipstream, and Ralph Bakshi's Wizards. Anyways, all that and lots more at patreon.com slash lightning dogs. Become a member of the pack like our latest recruit, Onua. That's not all for community news. We've got an awesome new piece of fan art. Temsu commissioned artist Sean Moore to do a full body portrait of Kid, wearing her spark plug necklace no less. It's very cool and one of the many pieces of artwork we'll be linking to on this episode's page. Also, you might remember a recent mention of a joke character, Chihuahua. Well, we recently figured out a way to actually integrate him into Lightning Dogs that's more than a little bit awesome. If you're down for some Chihuahua spoilers, we've got a link for you. Don't forget to spread the word about Lightning Dogs by telling a friend or rating and reviewing us on iTunes. I'm happy to say that thanks to that last push from you fine folks, we finally got a publicly listed rating. But we can't stop there. It takes hundreds of ratings to get the heat on iTunes, and we've got... seven. So if you can, please, take the time to give us a five-star rating or a short review. And if you're in need of a how-to, we've got you covered. Just go to nerdyshow.com slash spread the word. And on one final note, we need to address the giant irradiated pachyderm in the room. You'll hear us throw out the word kaiju a lot. As one of our most loyal members of the pack, Big Bad Shadow Man, pointed out, that's not actually correct. And let's face it, we're nerds, we gotta get this shit right. Daikaiju is the proper term for giant monster, while kaiju refers to just the film genre itself. The more you know, just uh, imagine that we're saying it correctly from now on, because we're gonna get it wrong. A lot. Anyway, that's enough yipping and yapping. We'll see you in the new year with new ongoing adventures of The Lightning Dogs! Pound sign. Hell noise. Pound sign. Hell noise. The pound sign. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.